should F1 start tinkering and getting involved or the FIA get involved to change the regulations to bring the field closer? What a sneeze. Christian Horner consistently at that point would say, look, you know, this is terrible for Formula One. They need to change the rules and let people catch up because it's going to take us years to catch up. And he was actually right. Almost always when we've had really good seasons, really competitive seasons, it's come towards the end of a regulation cycle. Well, I'm going to start calling on my wellies then. It's raining yeah, yeah. Kentucky it. today. I can enter in a new word. Hello and welcome to Unlapped. Katie George, Nate Saunders, Lawrence Edmondson with you after an action-packed week in Miami. Both of you are at home. I hope recovering after what was 64 ounces of beef you ate, Lawrence, while in Miami? It was something like that. Yeah, we went found this wonderful uh, burger place called La Tub. Uh, give it a little plug in yeah. Hollywood, uh, Miami. And it was, yeah, these burgers were amazing. And every time I got there, we kept going back evening after evening. I just looked at the menu. I was like, I can't choose anything but the 13-ounce burger. <laughs> so, yeah, went, went pretty big on on, uh, on on the burgers over the Miami weekend, which seemed appropriate. But, yeah, I think my body had withdrawal symptoms afterwards. I got back <laughs> on the following Wednesday and just felt awful. Um, anyway, but I've sure. recovered now, Re- ready for another race weekend. I'm glad to hear it. Nate, how are you feeling uh, before your travels to what is a very rainy Imola? Yeah, I feel good. I think I managed to avoid the worst of what Lawrence got. I missed one <laughs> night at the tub, if you remember, because I had TV the next day. So I think that that morning alone was key. That, that early night was key. Uh, but yeah, feeling good. I had a few days feeling pretty groggy. And then today I've just been gearing myself up for just getting stuck in monumental rainstorm which is um which is always fun my main my main concern is having to drive in italy in the wet uh, you know there's all sorts of things that could go wrong there but i'm sure it'll be fine all right well let's get you set for the emilia romano grand prix in italy this weekend remember if you're watching on youtube like this video leave us a comment and don't forget to subscribe to espn for more f1 content and if you're listening hit us with a five-star review wherever you get your podcast 10 seconds on the clock how many things can you name that are always growing your relationships your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. So we're recording this on a Tuesday afternoon. This is right when F1 personnel have been evacuated from the Imola circuit because of severe weather conditions. What have you guys heard from people on the ground? What have you seen from the images coming out of Imola right now? Because it hasn't just been raining a ton today. It's been raining for the last few days, and it looks like rain's still in the forecast moving forward. Yeah, there's real concerns over the next two days, so Tuesday and Wednesday. If you listen to this on Thursday, you'll probably know what happened. But there's real concerns about floods, landslides, serious 
serious weather. Um, and there's also the issue that there is a rather large river that runs adjacent to the circuit, actually right next to the paddock. Um, and if that overflows, it's not overflowing at the moment, but if the rainfall is so heavy, uh, both in Imola and also uh, the mountains where the source of that river is, uh, then that could potentially flood part of part of the circuit and make it impossible uh, for anything to happen on those days. Now, we are hoping that the, the worst of the weather gets out of the way Tuesday, Wednesday, and therefore by the time that the media turns up, Nate uh, is going on, on, on ESPN's behalf, and the drivers and the teams uh, to actually start the kind of main part of the weekend, which happens on Thursday with media briefings and engineering meetings and so on that hopefully the worst of it will have, will have subsided. But it, it really is a case of what damage is done to the track, to the facilities over the next two days and whether that's recoverable um, in time for the first practice session on Friday and the rest of it. I, I think probably realistically one of the biggest concerns, assuming it isn't, we aren't talking about major floods and, and landslides, is is really just to car parks and the spectator areas and people moving in and out of, of the circuit. It's never been a great circuit for getting people in and out of anyway. Traffic is always a nightmare there, but it could be a, a huge amount worse because of that. So it really is a case of just having to wait and see. But yeah, we, we heard today on Tuesday that uh, the preparations in the paddock, which usually at this time of the weekend is finishing off the motorhomes, which the teams take to European races and getting the garages set up um, had to be put on hold. Uh, the uh, staff that were working there were told to go back to their accommodation, not because there was a flood in the area, but just because there was that risk and they weren't entirely sure which way the weather was going to go over the next 24 hours or so. Nate, do you have rain gear? Can you swim? I can swim. Well, I haven't swum for a while, but as, as far as I can remember, I can swim. Um, and yeah, I've got some rain gear. I've actually been, I've worked out I don't have any Wellington boots, which as a Brit is pretty is pretty ridiculous. A British person should always have a pair of Wellington boots uh, at any point, but I've got some pretty good shoes I can wear. Um, but also, I mean, I feel like I, yeah, maybe this is something to do with me because I, I was running solo in Belgium 21 as well. And that was when the last time we had super rain like this kind of threatening event. I think Lawrence has been to a few in Japan where there's been severe weather storms. But one thing that is quite remarkable with F1 is we have this quite a lot and bar that race in Belgium, more or less, F1's kind of got away with it. You know, it's amazing the amount of time rain kind of falls after the race. And if you look at the Sunday forecast at the moment, the worst of the rain is meant to be kind of afternoon, evening. So if it does affect the race, it might be late on. Um, but it seems like that's, you know, the, the worst of it, as Lawrence said, is kind of over the next few days. You mentioned Belgium. Can you kind of just give us the lay of land of, of what took place in Spa in 2021 and how a rule change was made because of it? Yeah, sure. So Belgium, I'm, Belgium was crazy. I've never, I've never driven through rain as bad as that um i remember going to the circuit and as a complete side note i think we've told this story before but i actually spent three days i missed all the days leading up to that because i tested positive for covid on arrival in belgium but it turned out you know sub subsequent tests that, that had been a false positive and i was actually negative and so i finally get into the race on the sunday and it was pouring rain that day driving in and it had rained quite heavily on the saturday but qualifying had gone ahead which has set a grid which was important for what followed in terms of the result now, the rain got worse and worse and worse. From the moment we arrived in the in the paddock, it got worse and worse and worse right up to the race. 
we've seen it a few times before. Formula One struggles sometimes to get races going. One of the problems was they would, you know, it's the preparation time of there's a gap in the weather, but we have to prep everything to be ready for it. That happened at Monaco last year, if you remember. They weren't quite sure when the pattern in the in the weather would break for them, and it was timing the preparations and getting everybody going in time for that. So what we end up having in Belgium after a massive wait, I mean, this I think this went on for two or three hours, as I remember. They got two laps behind the safety car. So there wasn't a racing lap completed. There wasn't anything competitive. Now, quite significantly, in terms of the championship, uh, Verstappen was first. George Russell was second. I believe Lewis, off the top of my head, was third or fourth. Um, but either way, what happened was half points were awarded. Now, that had happened before at events that had been shortened by rain, but it never happened at an event like that where literally no racing had taken place. And a lot of people felt at the time, a lot of the drivers said, their feeling was the two laps behind the safety car were completed purely so Formula One could say a race has been completed, points can be handed out. And then there was this massive tug of war between Formula One, the FIA and the circuit about who owed people money. Anyway, long story short, people said we need, um, sorry, uh, money for a refund, I mean by that. Mm -hmm. Uh, That then led to um, this points change, which was confirmed shortly after that. You have to now complete two racing laps for any points to be awarded. So that moves that issue out of the way. and we saw this in Japan last year. This caused confusion for other races. Japan last year finished under a checkered flag, not a red flag. And most people assumed these new rules would apply where because less than 75% of the race distance had been completed, people didn't feel like full points would be awarded. Of course, Verstappen crossed the line. Everyone thought, okay, he's not world champion. And then he gets out of the car and Johnny Herbert says to him, congratulations, Max, you're world champion. And everyone else is like, uh, is that true? When there was this massive period of confusion. That's the the root of that confusion came from the way the points have been changed around and the key bit that was put into those rules that that that, that applies for races that finish uh, under red flag conditions. So when the rain has ended the race prematurely rather mm-hmm. than delaying a race, but it still finishes under racing conditions, if that makes sense. So a little bit complicated, but it makes a lot more sense in the context of what we saw in Belgium that year. Well, hopefully for your sake and for the sport's sake, the weather begins to clear and it becomes manageable and we have some clear-cut results by Sunday afternoon. Um, Obviously, we know at this point in the season, Red Bull is extremely dominant. There's no denying that. A lot of drivers were asked questions about overtaking or the lack thereof, shortening of DRS zones, um, how bad the cars are at actually racing one another. And Lewis Hamilton was the latest to kind of sound off on this. And, you know, he said, it's just unfortunate that we still see the same sorts of gaps between teams. I don't know what the solution is for the future, but I think we're going to have to continue to adapt these regulations moving forward. Otherwise it could be the same as it is now for years or until 2026. Lawrence, what did you make of the conversation Lewis had? Yeah. So there's two different arguments here which I think have got slightly confused both Mm -hmm. in the media and and probably among the drivers as well is one is can cars overtake as well as they should be able to we had a regulation change in 2022 to allow the cars to race each other more closely and this year it seems like there's been a slight step back compared to last year so there's a bit of disappointment about these new regulations have they really done what was needed uh, to improve wheel-to-wheel racing But on top of that, the other thing they've introduced is this new period of Red Bull domination. Now we've seen domination in Formula One again and again. We saw Ferrari in the early 2000s, Red Bull in the early 2010s, then Mercedes for a long period, 2014 to 2020. So 
that's nothing new, but there's this kind of concern that these regulations are basically set up Red Bull to go and win and win and win. And inevitably, if one team is winning all the time, especially if there's a dominant driver within that team, you don't end up with a championship going down to the final race. And, you know, it's just not as exciting to watch. So, you know, what's the issue here? And, and, and really, I, th- I think there is a problem that that Red Bull have got this far ahead so early in the regulation cycle, but it's no one's fault really other than the teams that didn't do a good enough job. And so should F1 start tinkering and getting involved or the FIA get involved to change the regulations to bring the field closer? Um, probably not. And and the other danger is that, you know, regulation changes rarely bring the field closer together. History will tell us that again and again, if you introduce regulation changes, you may end up with a different team leading the pack, but ultimately you, you do usually end up with one team taking advantage of it and pushing it forward. So I think maybe some of what Lewis said there um, got mixed between those those two arguments. Uh, and he also said, uh, you know, about, about tweaking the regulations to bring it closer together. Well, there's it's not just the technical regulations. It's not just uh, the, the cars that are used to do that. Um, one thing is the budget cap that's been introduced and mm-hmm. is meant to be uh, giving the teams a more level playing field. Of course, that can also lock in advantages. But the other thing is um, the aerodynamic testing re- regulations that we have now or restrictions that we have now that basically give more wind tunnel time to teams further down the order so that they can uh, catch up they can develop more mm. in the winter or they have more time and flexibility to do that and therefore they can make steps forward now um while red bull had uh had some limitations last year they have an even bigger limitation this year partly because they broke the budget cap but also because um that they, they were champions uh at the end of the year and so i think we have to wait and see how much that really does impact uh red bull's ability to develop and also um you tend to find as as regulations mature, uh, as teams get more and more used to regulations, there's a law of diminishing returns in terms of development. Now, we haven't seen that yet with Red Bull because they clearly made a massive step from 2022 mm-hmm. to 2023. But there is a chance that they start to hit a ceiling in terms of their development, while other teams have bigger gains to make. And so almost always when we've had really good seasons, really competitive seasons, it's come towards the end of a regulation cycle um, when teams have started to converge together. So I, I think there is a bit of a bit of patience involved. Something really had to be done about the cars not being able to race each other, um, mm. which we, we saw get worse and worse and worse under the previous regulations. So something was done about that. An unfortunate side effect is now that it's created a domination of one team. But again, given time that that can close up so um you know in terms of the FIA getting involved F1 getting involved and trying to change the regulations uh to bring people closer I don't think that's what's gonna happen I don't really think that's what people want to see happen what they want to see happen is is the other teams get a better understanding of how to improve their own cars and push forward um and we might see bits of that with updates coming this weekend but we'll get stuck into that a little bit later on It's an incredibly hot topic. Every driver and team principal was asked about it down in Miami. So I would ask you this, Nate, because I've entered the sport later, certainly than the two of you. Lawrence references the periods of dominance with Ferrari, Red Bull, Mercedes. And now, obviously, it looks like we're entering into a period of dominance for Red Bull. Was this topic hot during those time periods? Was it constantly in the news and media just like it is now? 
Yeah, and I think that's one thing I saw shared quite a lot. I mean, I'm, I'm amazed at the screenshots people are able to compile so quickly on, on on Twitter, but people had found, you know, Christian Horner. And I can remember him saying it. I think I've mentioned before my first season covering Formula One was 2014. And obviously that season, Mercedes were light years ahead of everyone else. And again, like Lawrence said, they had done a better job than everyone else. Everyone else had been, you know, kind of caught lacking. And Christian Horner consistently at that point would say, look, you know, this is terrible for Formula One. They need to change the rules and let people catch up because it's going to take us years to catch up. And he was actually right in that in that instance. You know, it did take Red Bull quite a long time. I remember back when Schumacher was dominating, it was the same thing. It was like, this guy's killing Formula One. They need to change the rules. They did. Uh, well, the rules did change and Ferrari were kind of like, well, you know, this has been done to to pull us back to the to the rest. There was stuff with with the with the tires, etc. Um, but I mean, it, I think it's part and parcel. Certainly, as long as I've been covering it, you know, the, the team out in front is the one that everyone says, well, you know, we need to stop these guys from winning everything because at the moment they're too far ahead. So it does seem to follow a cycle. Um, and yeah, I think everything Lawrence said is spot on. I think um, the the most worrying thing would be if it did take until 2026 and max was that dominant but at the same time you know if you're especially if you're you know if you're a mercedes fan mercedes had those three years 2014 15 Mm -hmm. and 16 where you know they were pretty much unmatched out in front and you know they certainly didn't complain at the time it was the rest of the the field that did and um yeah you can't after a while you you know you just start playing whack-a-mole a a little bit i'm not sure if that is the right term in america but like it's a circus when yeah when they keep popping up because you 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 think you've solved one problem and then you 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 create three or four more by what you, you know through doing that. So yeah, I, I can't see it happening. Um, and hopefully, eventually, twenty twenty one, you know, we'd had stable-ish regulations for a few years, and then that's what we got at the end of that. It took a long time to get there, and the problem was, in hindsight, you're looking at it now, was that immediately following that was a rule change. You know, you wonder what would have happened had we had a few more years of that of the cars as they were. You know, Max and Lewis being so mm-hmm. close together. Um, so yeah, it's not always the answer. Whack-a-mole. Good analogy. I yeah. dig it. I, I, it sounded, it sounded way too English to, to be. No, something it's a Americans good one. Use, but I'm glad that I'm glad it, it's traveled across the pond. <laughs> yes, it has. It has Red Bull certainly clicking on all cylinders. It's sister team and AlphaTauri. Not so much. Uh, not sure if you saw some of the comments or, um, suggestions that were made that helmet Marco is not thrilled with AlphaTauri driver rookie driver, Nick DeVries. Um, Is it true? Have we got it confirmed that he did give some kind of warning uh, to Nick DeVries that he needs to be improving here shortly, or he possibly could be replaced later on in the season? Yeah, it certainly seems so. So uh, I know for a fact that within the team, the word that was, it was used to me by a couple of different people at the team is that they've been underwhelmed by him. You know, he came in with quite a lot of hype last year based on what he did on that debut with Williams. As for Marco, I, I haven't had that confirmed. I'm not sure Lawrence has either, but it definitely isn't out of step with what we've come to expect from Helmut Marco. I mean, he's one of the most demanding people in Formula One. Um, you know, dry, ex-Red Bull drivers will tell you the most horrifying thing they ever saw on a Sunday evening after a race would be their phone lighting up and it says Helmut Marco's calling because they know he only calls when he's got some harsh way. He very rarely will call you and say, oh, you did a great job today. He's usually calling you to say, you know, what the hell are you doing? I mean, Daniel Ricciardo, who funnily enough is in the middle of this story, said that that used to terrify him when that call would come. He said, you have to, you'd have to answer it on the first or second ring. Otherwise he would get, he'd have a second reason to be annoyed with you. Not only is he calling you to, you know, to have some stern words with you, but he's also like, well, why on earth didn't you, did you, you know, did you leave this ring for a while? So wouldn't be out of step. And um, yeah. And I think given that, 
De Vries hasn't come in from the Red Bull system. I think there's less loyalty than maybe they've got towards someone like Yuki Tsunoda, who did spend a bit of time kind of not maybe impressing in the way he should have done. But I think he's been given a much longer leash than, say, De Vries has been so far. That was the exact word I was going to use. It seems like, Lawrence, he's on a short leash. I mean, he's only five races into the season with this new team. Is that fair? Um, yeah, he's only five races or six races now into his F1 career. Of course, he had that one with Williams last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, this is fairly normal for rookies to, to, you know, take a little while to get up to speed. So I think it is a bit unfair, but it is the nature of the of the Red Bull system as well. And um, I think the expectation with Nick was that he would come into the team and, and hit the ground running a little bit more just because of his experience outside of Formula One. Uh, he's um, relatively old for a rookie, I think 28 years old, and uh, he had that experience in Formula E, he was a Formula E champion. Mm-hmm. And I think there was just this expectation that by bringing him in, of course, he replaced Pierre Gasly when Gasly made it quite clear that he would wanted to go and drive elsewhere. Alpine had an opportunity. And uh, and so they brought De Vries in, hoping that he would be able to just get straight in there and, and get the job done. And that's hard. That's really hard in Formula One. You know, there's an awful lot going on. There can be just the most minute bits of bad luck which spiral into something far worse. And so I think um, realistically he needs to be given a bit more time. But it's just not it's not the way of the uh, of the Red Bull driver program really. You know, they 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 like to keep the pressure on the drivers, and it's mm-hmm. a real sink or swim environment and um i i feel like de Vries will would improve going to a number of tracks which he probably knows a little bit better um he's you know done a lot of racing in europe during his career so i feel like that the next three circuits imola monaco is a bit unusual but um he has raced there before in formula two and then um spain which is a track that a lot of drivers know quite well should give him a chance to settle and hopefully get the results that helmet marco is looking for (laughs) Yeah, hopefully so. And Nate, you mentioned Daniel Ricardo, obviously, friend of the show. When these reports came out that Marco was obviously not happy with DeVries' lack of performance thus far, many concluded that Daniel Ricardo would be in line to take that seat should he be removed. You've debunked those rumors, though. Yeah, I, somebody called me the Ricardo Whisperer on Twitter, which I found <laughs> was quite funny. Um, yeah, so it was bizarre because that report came out saying that Ricardo had gone to Fianza and had a seat fitting there. Wasn't quite true. He had a seat fitting behind closed doors in Miami, which was because Liam Lawson wasn't at wasn't at the Miami Grand Prix. He's actually Alpha Tauri's reserve driver. He's a Red Bull Junior driver. Um, so you know, in the instance that Ricardo was needed, he obviously needed to be to have a seat fitting. He had one in Australia for Red Bull. He actually went to Europe for for the wedding of um, Chloe Stroll, sister yeah. of Lance, and his friend Scotty James, which was in Venice, which looks unbelievable. If anyone checks yeah. out on Instagram, how the other half live is crazy. Uh, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I was so jealous looking at all those photos. Um, People said it was the F one royal wedding. If it, as close as close as you're going to yeah. get to it. I mean, it seemed like there was a lot of big names there. Um, but on on Ricardo, from everything I know from you know, the, those close to Ricardo and also from people at Red Bull as well, who I spoke to last week when when this kind of news was coming out, is there's been absolutely no overtures made to Ricardo about this seat. You know, there's Helmut Marco's not spoken to him yet. Um the, it, you know, it's been casually mentioned in conversations like, oh, you know, at some point, you know, we might need you. And I think Ricardo has has kept the same line throughout this, both privately and publicly, is that he's really not that interested in driving anywhere other than one of the top teams. I think that still applies this season. From CAA's mm-hmm. point of view, CAA are the guys that represent him, obviously. Um, for One thing that was pointed out to me was that if he was to sit in at AlphaTauri, 
that's a whole new contract he needs to draw up. He's got a very, very good contract at the moment, which is um, a lot of marketing opportunities. And obviously, he's going to test the car later this year. But it's given him a lot of freedom to do things away from Formula One that I think if he raced, he suddenly has to give some of those things up. You know, there's a lot of things he's doing away from the sport this year. So I just don't see it ever fitting. I mean, in a few races time, he might have that bug and he might say, I want to kind of come back into it. But um, one thing I was told just to wrap this up was that people, you know, I think the riskier option is, would, would be seen as taking an opportunity at AlphaTauri. You know, if you go in there and you, you, you know, you struggle to beat Yuki, who at the moment is in really good form, um, which is kind of, I think has made Nick DeVries' life a bit, bit more difficult. If you go and do that, any chance Ricardo has of a top line seat somewhere else, I think is gone. It's pretty slim anyway, I would say, but you know, any, any chance he had of that, any chance he had of maybe jumping in and replacing Perez at some point, if that eventuality came, I think you'd basically close the door on it. So every indication I have is that if De Vries does go, Liam Lawson, who's currently racing in Super Formula in Japan, would be the guy that would get that that seat. You know, if, the, if there's a reason Red Bull have their junior drivers and mm-hmm. they would want to support him in that situation. So I, I know it's a great opportunity and we'd all love to see Ricardo racing, but I just can't see an eventuality. Maybe, maybe for you know, for one race. I, I think that might be a possibility if De Vries did go. They're like, right, we need you to jump in this weekend and then we're gonna find someone else longer term. But yeah, becoming AlphaTauri's driver for the rest of the season, I would bet pretty much everything that I'd be willing to bet, because <laughs> you know these things these things you know can can come and um come and hit you in the face. But yeah, I I would be stunned if if Ricardo raced uh, raced there in any meaningful capacity this year. Regardless, though, a good reason to keep an eye on Nick DeVries moving forward over the next few months to see how he's able to perform. We've set the stage from a weather standpoint at Imola, but let's actually get you ready and preview the race. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more, more than, than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C., Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Multiple teams are bringing... Big upgrades, Laz. So what should we anticipate from said team? Start with Mercedes, please. Yeah, Mercedes are the one that have 
created the most uh, interest in their upgrades, I think, because they were talking about them even before the start of the season. So mm-hmm. uh, as early as the Bahrain test, when it became quite clear that the car wasn't performing on the level that anyone at Mercedes wanted, uh, they were talking about what they're going to do to the car in Imola. Um, I think the most visual change will be the side pods, those uh, infamous zero-sized uh, side side pods will be um, changing in some way. We don't know exactly how. Uh, Mercedes has said it's not going to be quite like the Red Bull, which is the team that a lot of people have, have, have followed, uh, and it will be its own kind of path forward. But I think the bigger changes um, in terms of relevant to not only performance on track, but also just the team's development direction going forward is the front suspension and the floor. Um, they've found that the car is really lacking um, a lot of rear end grip, um, especially in high speed corners. The center of the aerodynamic pressure that, that that's created by, by the aerodynamics of the car is too far forward, which makes it very difficult for the drivers to have confidence in the rear end of the car getting into high speed corners. So they're trying to address that. They're trying to create a platform that, uh, they can load downforce onto, ideally one that can run at a lower ride height than they currently are. Therefore, they'll get more performance out of the floor. So all of these things are incorporated in this uh, new upgrade. Um, and hopefully the drivers will give feedback that they like it. Whether it will result in immediate performance gains um, is, is interesting because it's a relative game. Of course, you're, you're going up against Ferrari, who also bring in performance. Red Bull, which seems to bring some small update to every single race. Uh, they might have a bigger one in in line for for this race as well. Uh, so if you've got all the teams bringing upgrades, then even if Mercedes found 0.3 seconds compared to where the car would be uh, previously, and that would be quite a lot in a single upgrade, um, you might not see it relative to the other teams. So um, I think really what's key for Mercedes here is that they understand the car a bit better. When they put it on the ground and they make setup changes, it does what they want. Uh, they can get into uh, setup changes where they're not making significant compromises like they have at other races this year. And that's the plan. So hopefully it will uh, it, it will work, as hopefully with, with other teams as well, because mm-hmm. as we were talking about earlier, that gap between Red Bull and the chasing pack is is really not particularly exciting for, for motor racing uh, and for Formula One going forward. So the only or the best way out of it would be for the teams to develop their current cars to a point where they, they close that gap. So, um, yeah, a lot a lot hanging on this race uh, for Mercedes. But whether you'll see the instant performance or whether it will take a number of races to uh, to get there and to optimise the car around the new um, components remains to be seen. And I feel like it might take a few races still. Could the upgrades unfortunately be moot points for some teams if the weather is bad? Yeah, I mean, certainly uh, the the three practice sessions you have in Imola, teams will be looking to gain as much information as possible. If the weather's bad, that really limits what you can do to some extent and how hard you can push the car. And, you know, because what you want when you're testing new parts is as many variables taken away as possible. So mm-hmm. if you have a perfectly dry track at a constant temperature, that's ideal. It's like doing a science experiment. You want to control those variables. Now, if you have a track that starts wet, then dries, or starts dry, then gets wet, you just lose a lot of the comparison. When you make setup changes, it's not directly comparable to, to, to what you had before. And so, um, yeah, I think a lot of teams will be hoping for, for dry weather. But then again, it's kind of the same for all of them, isn't it? So um, uh, if if it takes a couple more races for them to truly get an understanding of it, it will be across the board uh, for any teams bringing big updates. And we're expecting a lot of them to bring updates over the next three races. Uh, Now we go into Europe. Traditionally, that's when teams start to 
start to look at their cars and, and and bring pieces that they've been planning since the start of the year. They've had that lead time to work into those upgrades. And also just the distance between the factory and the racetrack is is shorter and the logistics of getting stuff there is is, is easier. So that's another reason why we'll see a lot, of, a lot of changes to cars over the next few weeks. Okay. Helmut Marco wasn't the only uh, person chastising his drivers. Um, Alpine CEO Laurent Rossi had some stern words for his drivers as well after Miami. Um, comments like, there will be consequences if the team doesn't improve. Amateurishness, Nate, at times this season. He said, the trajectory is not good. We need to fix the mindset of the team ASAP. There's going to be consequences, and it won't wait until the end of the year. What did you make of those pretty strong statements from Rossi? Yeah, they were pretty strong, <clears throat> pretty surprising as well to hear someone speak that candidly. But I think mm -hmm. they're actually more aimed away from the drivers. I think they're aimed at Otmar Safnauer um, and aimed at the management structure currently at Alpine. I mean, that's headed up by Otmar. Certainly the, the the way that was interpreted by the French media especially was that it was a dig directly at Otmar. And it's pretty remarkable to hear <clears throat> the CEO of a team, especially the CEO of a team that, let's, let's face it, has not done very well. You know, since since they came back as Renault in 2016, kind of speaking out like that against the management structure that he's helped appoint, that haven't been, you know, getting the results that they need on track. Um, and yeah, I mean, Otmar, if if you look at Formula One right now, if you were to you know take bets on who you think the next person to kind of lose a high profile job would be, Otmar seems to be one of the people that you would think Alpine just haven't looked that good this year. But to go back to your original point, Katie, there, you can't, you should read that as a knock. The drivers should have read that as a knock to them as well, because they've left a lot of points on the table this year as well. Obviously they collided in Australia. Gasly put it in the wall in Baku. The team made a mistake in Bahrain, but then Ocon made a few mistakes when he had that kind of hilarious string of penalties at the first race. So I think just generally speaking across the board, Alpine's kind of in a complete mess uh, behind the scenes. I don't think, I think they've, They've clearly got a very good race car and they feel like they haven't optimized mm -hmm. that, you know, so far this season. That was certainly what the drivers said, you know, around the Miami race. And they were pleased to kind of have an error-free race and kind of, you know, get the points out of it they wanted. Um, but yeah, just really strange this early in the season to see that. Um, and I think from what I understand from again speaking last week to people at Alpine behind the scenes, I think the big thing that's come to a head more than anything this year has been Aston Martin. You know, coming into this season. The kind of the narrative was, hey, you know, we're making good progress. We've beaten McLaren. You know, Alpine looks solidly the fourth best team, and we all thought, well, no one's going to really break that top three. Now suddenly, Aston Martin have leapt ahead of them all. You know, mm -hmm. scoring podiums every week. I mean, you know, they've they've been behind Red Bull. Sometimes have been the second quickest team. Um, so there's a lot of pressure behind the scenes there. But the last thing Alpine needs is to change things up. I mean, it's probably had the least stability of any team when sure. you look at it from a management perspective. So. Yeah, I was really surprised to see it. Um, I can't remember a team, uh, a CEO or you know somebody that senior speaking so candidly about his team. But um, from what I understand, it didn't go well down too well with kind of you know rank and file members at Alpine because ultimately they look around and they say, well, a lot of the points have been given up so far by drivers. Fair enough. You said stability. This is a home race for Ferrari. Miami maybe wasn't the best outing for Charles Leclerc on the weekend on the whole. Lawrence, what are your expectations and standards for Ferrari coming in the weekend? Yeah, they also have an upgrade coming and it's really trying to address some of the issues that uh, Leclerc had in Miami, the, the 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 difficulty, the peakiness of the car, and then also trying to get it to work in the races. Because 
on qualifying pace, uh, some some races they've really not been too bad. They've been fairly close to Red Bull, as close as anyone's got to Red Bull this year. Um, yeah, if we just look back to Baku, um, Leclerc took uh, two pole positions, both in the sprint and and the main race. So there's clearly some performance in that car, but they just cannot get it together during a race. And um, that's what they're they're looking to address. Again, you kind of hope that the string of three races on more familiar ground, closer to the factory, stuff like that will help. But um, yeah, it's there's no guarantees at the moment with Ferrari. I've, a number of times in these kind of pre-shows, I've, I've talked about how, you know, this should be a good track for Ferrari. And on paper, Imola shouldn't be terrible for them. But they just seem to make mistakes along the way, lose the thread in the race. And that's really what they need to address this weekend as ever uh, to get a decent performance. I think the upgrade needs to just be a car that doesn't spin. That will help Charles out a little bit. And then go yeah, from you should there. suggest that to some oh, of the engineers shit. in F1 because I bet they've never thought of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will. I'm going to walk down the paddock in my in the Wellington boots I find later. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and tell them, hey, have you thought of making a fast car that doesn't spin? And they'll say, Mamma mia, I never thought of that before. <laughs> <laughs> what are Wellington boots, by the way? Is it just a brand of rain boots? Yeah, so that's an English word, isn't it, that doesn't translate. It's just, yeah, it's just boots. I don't know why we call them Wellington boots. I guess Probably. it's a, yeah, 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 right, yeah. Wellies, wellies. Have you heard of wellies? No, I mean, I've heard of rubber rain boots. Same thing. Okay. Okay, yeah. Those, yeah. Well, I'm going to start calling them my wellies then. It's yeah, raining yeah, in Kentucky it. today. I can enter in a new word. I love it. <laughs> and people look at you like, what? You say, yeah, wellies. Yeah. My wellies. Yeah. In my English accent. All right, I digress. When it comes to Red Bull, who do we feel like this track suits more? And do we need the fight to stay close over the triple header here in Europe, in your all's opinion? I think we do need to stay close, don't we? Because Max mm-hmm. got more of a lead in Miami uh, with a qualifying, with a, after a qualifying and with a grid that looked like it was going to favor Perez. So, yeah, we, we, we really need it to, uh, to stay close. Otherwise, it's going to just look very one-sided by the end of this triple header. Unfortunately, I think Imola, well, unfortunately for Checo anyway, Imola is probably a track that's going to suit Max Verstappen. Uh, he likes high-speed corners. Uh, he likes traditional racetracks. And uh, Imola is a, is a bit of both of those. And also not an easy track to overtake. So if Verstappen does his thing in qualifying and gets a clean lap in, which he didn't in Miami, but if he does it here, then uh, I think he's going to be on his way to another fairly comfortable victory. The one hope for uh, Perez will be Monaco coming up the weekend after. That's the race he won last year. Uh, it's a street track. We know that he yeah. does like street tracks a little bit more. So even if um, Max gets ahead of him and uh, and wins again in Imola and extends his lead, Perez will be looking to Monaco as one track where he has to uh, peg Max uh, back a bit and kind of take a few points out of him. But it's it's all just looking a bit one side. Is I think after Miami, prior to Miami, we were saying two wins each. Checo had the sprint victory as well, and it just looked like there might be a possibility there. But he had such an opportunity in Miami to extend to to, yeah. to take the lead of the championship. Uh, you know, really put himself in a position where he could start to ask some questions in the team and uh, and make sure that they give him as much support as Max. But now with with Max beating him just on outright pace in Miami and no other reason for it. Uh, he's he really needs to perform at these next three races. And the, the problem we have as well is that we talked about rain earlier. Often, you're like, oh, if rain happens, it could, but we know Max loves the rain as well. So if it does <laughs> rain, you feel like that's just another kind of 
you know, another reason to back Max. I now want to get your predictions. Lawrence's favorite segment of the show after sweeping the nation last week in Miami. Here's how it stands. Okay. Follow me, Nate. You're one, two, and two. Lawrence, you're one, one, and three. Katie's one, one, and one. So by my calculations, Nate, you are atop the standings. I will say, and I don't know how you feel about this rule because Lawrence hit the trifecta. He got all three right in Miami. Should we give him an extra win, like an extra point, like you get for fastest lap? Or is that we shouldn't do uh, it since we're six absolutely. races? With season regulation changes, we've just absolutely. decided aren't a good idea, you know? So <laughs> I'm against No, I mean, come on, we can we can do that because more incentive for me to try and get it right and for you, Katie, for, like, for both of us to get it right going forward, right? But so Do we want to go back and give him an extra point or it starts now? Oh, it's tricky, isn't it? The integrity of this thing is is hanging by a thread. It's getting I think. a little wonky. Dave, yeah. you make the call. Give him an extra point or no? Uh, just because I feel sorry that he had to deal with 60 ounces of ground beef coming out of Miami. That Let's give him decision. the extra point. That was, yeah, it was all on him. Yeah, he did it himself. I mean, he took me uh, around I, I, along I, for the ride for two days, and I regretted it after the second day. So God knows what he was going through when he got home. So let's give I him a point. I don't regret a thing. I don't regret a thing. All right, um, Lawrence. But I, but I do think it probably is a bit unfair to just add a point afterwards. The only danger with this is that we're going to get some very boring predictions going forward with that. We're just all going to say Max, Jacko, <laughs> Fernando. Just every week. <laughs> Which is the, the only one I've got right so far by, um, by just going boring. But anyway, yeah, look. Um, I think extra points from now on. Why not? All right. Perfect. So no extra point at the moment. You'll get it moving forward, which means, Nate, you're still in the lead, which means you will now start with your predictions for Emma. Sweet. So I always hate starting because I kind of doubt my predictions as I, as I go. I mean, I feel like at this point, any any one of us that doesn't put Max first is just asking not to score the full points. So I'm going to say Max first. Max. I'm very excited about this Mercedes upgrade purely from you know the point of view of um just what it might do for the season you know it might not you know as Lawrence mentioned it might not happen overnight but I'm going to be a believer anyway and we know when it rains that Lewis is he's up there with Max and we put Lewis second and then I should really put Checo in third position Ooh. but Fernando Alonso owns third position this year so I'm going to stick him there Max Lewis Fernando I love it Lawrence so I, I was going to stick Lewis in the top three but now Nate's done it I might I might change that and go with Max Checo. Boring, I know, but I'm going for this extra point now. And then George Russell in third. Nice. Okay. That leaves me. I'm writing this down as we speak. So we have a record, of course. In case you guys ever think that there's a dispute and you want to go back on something. I have it in (laughs) writing. I'm going to go with Max, obviously. I'm going to go with Charles Leclerc. Ooh. Better not hang me out to dry like he did last week. And Lewis Hamilton. Nice. Which I, means the gap between those two. You think that's it's good? Yeah, that would be a, a mega race for Ferrari. So I'd love to see that. I would too. Okay, there we have it. Nate, Max, Lewis, Fernando. Lawrence has Max, Checo, Ru- George Russell. Katie has Max, Charles Leclerc, and Lewis Hamilton. That's good. All right. Thank you so much for the time. Keep resting and go for a couple walks to burn off those calories, Lawrence. You need to get packing, and I hope that uh, you find your wellies. Yeah, no, and, and I'm glad we could teach you that work, Kate, as well. That's if, if nothing else from this season, that's going to be a high point. Yeah, and a pinch of salt. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Cheers. Cheers.